Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Best Ever You Show. I'm your host, Elizabeth, and guess what? I am here with Cheryl Richardson. It's like, it's like idle moment, Cheryl. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, I love your work, and you're such a respected author and coach for so many years. You're a New York Times bestselling author. And then there's me, who I want to talk to you about all the animal advocacy that you do. <laughs> um, do you care if we start there? We can start wherever you'd like. I actually want to do one thing before we go. I'm in control of the of the com here. So I just want to make sure that people go to your website. It's CherylRichardson.com. Mm-hmm. And um, people can go there while we're talking and uh, and look at what all is there, all your books, your coaching, your blog, everything is there. So I'm gonna I'm gonna hide that, bring our names back up and talk to you about cats first, because oh my goodness, for a long time as um, I was watching you in social media, you had this great cat and I I feel, I, I feel like everybody and their brother, mother, and sister sent you pictures of their cat that looked like yours. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people did, yes. That was yeah. Poupon. Poupon, my husband named him. Um, it sounded like he named him Poupon for Grey Poupon, but the truth is when we adopted him from a shelter, he was a tiny, tiny baby. He had just been brought in. And when they took him out of a crate and put him on the floor, he pooped on the floor. And Michael said, we're going to call him Poupon. <laughs> That's cute. And um, yeah, Michael. Also, we got to make sure we talk about Michael too. But um, yeah, so you you love cats. And I, I think I'm one of those who sent you a picture of my cat that looked like your cat and all those things. So thank you for thank you for being so cool about that. Um, but talk about all the work that you do with animals and how much that how much you love animals, because it's it's powerful to me when people love animals as much as I love animals. Well, I think it's true. I think that um I mean, I've been, I grew up with a mother who loved animals. And so we had dogs and cats and I had guinea, I mean, not guinea pigs, um, hamsters when I was little. And um, so in a lot of ways, that's where my love of animals began through my mother's love of animals. She was sort of an animal whisperer in a lot of ways. And, um, and then, you know, as I became an adult, I had, I remember I had a German shepherd, Sam was his name. And that was many years ago. And I have cats now um, just because I love them and they're, you don't have to walk them in the cold weather. (laughs) Our cats are all indoor cats because it extends their life by 40% or so averages show. And also we live in a, we live in the country. There's coyote and all kinds of wild animals around uh, black bear just this last month or so. So I keep the animals, keep the cats inside, but um I think first and foremost, I'm a huge advocate for rescuing animals because when people develop a relationship with animals, they naturally cultivate empathy and compassion. And uh, animals are like little spiritual beings that really teach us a lot about unconditional love. And it's not uncommon to see someone who's never had an animal kind of open up in a very heartfelt way once they share their lives with one. And so I've always been... Um, a supporter, Michael and I have always supported the shelter where we first rescued Poupon and then rescued um, Wednesday and Birdie, our mm-hmm. current two brother and sisters. And um, we got them from the same shelter. And we like to just support people in experiencing the power of sharing their lives with animals. Um, there's also a wonderful place in Cape Nettick, Maine that we support called um, the Center for Wildlife. Mm, yeah. It's giant I mean, four and a half million dollar now center. When we first started supporting it, it was uh, a 1200 square foot ranch where they brought in 
ranch house and they rescued 2,500 animals, birds and animals a year. And they've now extended, you know, their, their work to a four and a half million dollar state of the art wildlife center that educates children about nature and wildlife and um, provides apprenticeships for um, uh, young people who are looking to become wildlife rehabilitators or to work in that field, uh, maybe as, um, uh, I can't think of the word, when you live out in the when you live out in the woods. Um, environmentalist maybe or something well, like environmentalist, that. Yes, and um, it'll come to me in the middle of all of this, but they train people to work in environmental wildlife care. And, um, and they do wonderful programs for the public and they rescue and heal a lot of birds and animals and the ones that they can't return to the wild, which they often want to do, the ones they can't return, um, they end up, keeping as um, ambassador animals to teach people about them. So they do great work as well. And I just, you know, I believe in what Jacques Cousteau said many years ago, we protect what we love. So when you fall in love with the natural world and wildlife and birds and animals, and you, and you just develop this heartfelt relationship, you care more about protecting them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, a proud owner of three rescued cats. One giant woodchuck that's lived with us for, I don't know how many years out in the back. We just let him be because he, just, you know, we feed him apples and things like that. And uh, I love animals too. And then we have two puppies that we got um, after our puppy died. But um, I, I know one of the, one of the books that you've written, I'm going to segue this into the book is, um, well, it's not a book actually, it's an audio CD, um, how to survive the loss of a pet. Yes. And you wrote that with our really good friends uh, over at Sounds True. Hello, Tammy Simon <laughs> and uh, and crew over there. But um, I know when when our dog passed away and and my husband had never had a dog before or an animal before other than our cats. And um, it's shattering. Yeah, it really was. I mean, we lost Poupon suddenly. He was 10 years old and suddenly became sick. And we discovered that he had a tumor. And it was the same thing with my husband, Michael. He hadn't really had a kind of intimate relationship with the pet as an adult. And so, and he was, he was not real thrilled with the idea of, of, you know, he had never had relationships with cats. He had grown up with dogs. And so he didn't know what to make of cats and he really fell in love with Poupon. And um, so when we lost him, it was devastating for both of us for a number of reasons. And it took us over three years to uh, rescue two more cats. We really needed some time to process the experience and to just kind of, um, grieve the loss, which felt much bigger than just losing um, a pet. And, um, and so, yes, Tammy was so wonderful in that um, I had, we had talked about me doing an audio book called Self-Care for the Wisdom Years, but I had this pet project, pun intended, on the <laughs> side of, um, I had been looking for resources for dealing with the loss of a pet when Poupon died, because it was so, I was so heartbroken. And so I sort of, after three years, really brought together the journey, the healing journey, not only that Michael and I went through, but also people who would write to me. There were so many people who knew Poupon and felt like they had lost him too, and um, would write to me about their losses. And I would write back to every single one. I knew what they were dealing with. And I eventually put it all into um, really, an, it's like, I think of it as a comforting guide where um, I went into studio uh, and decided that I would just talk to the listener and talk them through my experience, both in 
determining when the best time was to let Poupon go through, you know, dealing with his illness through the first initial weeks of just shock and heartbreak, all the way through the healing process and rescuing new animals. And I'm really proud of that project. And I really hope that it helps just lessen the pain a bit for people who lose animals and that it becomes a resource that people share with their vets and their shelters so that people have that resource um, when they experience a loss of a pet. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I, I so thank you for sharing and, and talking to us all about this. There's a number of people watching and listening right now that are saying, thank you. If I could just say too, you just reminded me if anybody wants to send an email to pet at Cheryl Richardson.com, one of the things we do is we donate the audio program to veterinary hospitals, um, uh, animal shelters, so that people can experience it for themselves and and know what they're talking about when they share the resource. So we um, we choose people. We usually choose one um, place a week, and we contact them. So if somebody wants to nominate their vet or nominate their shelter, you can do the same thing, Elizabeth. You can just send an email to pet at CherylRichardson.com, and we'll take care of that. Yeah, that's that's so special, and you know I I love this about you because it's it's like a, a complete um, you you tackle humans in a great way <laughs> the kind of, the self care the everything that goes into our emotions our being our everything and it's not so easy is it we're so we're complex <laughs> we are complex and we're also just amazing beings and you know, trying to find our way in the world. So much of my work, whether it's my books or audiobooks or teaching over the years has been about teaching what I've had to learn about taking better care of myself, about um, becoming a more authentic version of myself, about certainly now later in life as I enter my wisdom years and really enjoy the process of aging consciously recognizing that I'm not my personality, I'm not my accomplishments, I'm not my image, I'm not what I've done. I'm so much more than that. I am a soul in a physical body who um, who can really experience a sense of aliveness and the richness of life when I stay in the present moment and actually be where I am. And that's sort of my, that's my main focus these days is just being present for life, being present for the people I'm engaged with, being present for the situation that I'm in. Um, and that's a full-time job. <laughs> it's a big job. Yeah, it, it's interesting too. Yeah, you know, I'm 53. I'm a mom of four boys. They're in their 20s. They're 21, wow. 23, 25, and 27 now. And wow. I feel the exact same way. Just sort, of, But it's interesting too, because it's more of a calm that's come over me. Kind of like a, hmm, you know, I, I, it's hard to... It, it's hard to describe and explain. Can you put that into words, that calm that kind of comes over you? It's really, it's like a super conscious awareness of everything. Well, I think it depends on what you're doing to be calm and aware. (laughs) A lot of people don't experience that. You know, a lot of people are really, especially these days, you know, this, the world is a tough place to be in. Life is not, life here is not easy. And so really, you know, I started becoming more present to my life with just with the simple practice of meditating 10 minutes a day, you know, just making a decision that I would set an alarm on my phone, not let anything interrupt me, really sit with myself, watching my mind, not trying to control it, not trying to stop it or quiet it, but to just watch it. Because when I watched it, 
I had to then pay attention to who was doing the watching. And as a result, that began to connect me with a higher part of myself. And it began to get, it, it did something really important. And I, I'm sure you can relate to this, Elizabeth. You know, most of us stay busy because being quiet with ourselves can be a very uncomfortable experience for most of us. <laughs> this nonstop chronic voice in our head that isn't really nice, not very pleasant. And so the first, the first part of the practice of something like meditation means we have to meet that part, that inner critic, that worried part, that anxious part, that just the part that just talks incessantly about stuff that's already happened or stuff that could happen. And we have to really learn to hold steady and separate ourselves from that voice in order to connect with the essence of who we really are. And that takes practice and it takes a willingness to sit through the discomfort and not get up from the chair. I love, you know, my friend and colleague, Joe Dispenza used to say that when he would sit down and meditate, um, he would talk about how his mind would do everything in its power to try and get him to get up and, you know, do something else. And he would say to his mind, we're not going anywhere. I'm the soul. You're my, you know, I'm your boss. I'm the soul. And we're staying here until the alarm goes off or until he, you know, decided that his meditation was done. And I really took that to heart. And eventually I started doing that in January 1st of 2020. And I tracked every day that I meditated so that because tracking just made it kind of a game, it really helped me to keep the commitment. And within six months or so, I started to notice that inner voice became nicer and quieter, a little quieter, some, not always. <laughs> and today I feel like life itself is becoming more of a meditation, that um, I can witness myself behaving in ways that aren't really me or getting caught up in things to worry about or to feel anxious about. And when, the moment I witness it, it stops because I'm back in the present moment. And in the present moment is where we have the most power to actually respond to the life that's unfolding in front of us. So that's a very important practice that I have found to be incredibly helpful in my wisdom years. And, and honestly, probably the most important thing, most that, important practice of that, all. That is so powerful. Thank you. I hope everybody listens to that multiple times. Um, I think, I think your work has touched my life in so many different ways over the years um, from gratitude to not beating myself up in the mirror all the time, you know, just that, that art of like that self-care, that love towards yourself, because I can be masterful at looking in the mirror and beating myself up on everything and um, just, just kind of rooting down in gratitude and learning about gratitude. I've seen you talk about gratitude so much. Um, can you explain the role gratitude has played in your life? You know, a good place to start when you talk about um, being kinder to ourselves. I call myself sweetheart. I always tell people that. Oh, I love um, always, if I, if I, I find that, <laughs> well, this is why I'm telling you, Elizabeth, because I absolutely want you to borrow yeah. myself sweetheart. And so if I'm in the middle of something that's upsetting for me, I will put my hand on my heart and I'll say, sweetheart, it's okay. You got, we got this. You're not alone. It's all right. Or, um, sweetheart, you don't have to worry about that. Or uh, the other day, I was—I have an outdoor shower. It's one of my cool. favorite things. And from the moment I can open it in the spring here in the Northeast, I shower outside all summer long into still probably November. Cool. And it's just a wonderful, sensual, 
a live sort of experience for me. And the other day I was, yesterday I was in the outdoor shower and it was, it was raining. So it was really, it was really a beautiful experience. And um, there were birds flying above me. I have a bird feeder above the, you know, close to the shower so I can see the birds come in and out. And all of a sudden I noticed I was having a conversation with somebody in my head about something that had happened like 10 years ago. <laughs> we all do this, right? We, oh, yeah. we argue with people. We, we say, oh, this is what I should have said. This is what I should have done. And, um, yeah. and all of a sudden in the middle of my shower, I just put my hand on my heart. And I said, sweetheart, come back here. Yeah. Feel the water on your body. Feel the air above you. Feel the raindrops coming down listen to the birds, you know, senses bring us back to the present moment. And so what I have found, Elizabeth, now having done this for a long time, it's become a kind of spontaneous default when I'm in the middle of something that's upsetting because life is going to be upsetting sometimes. I automatically go to, sweetheart, it's okay. You can handle this. We're, we're okay here. And I love that it's become automatic and that's what happens and when and this is i think something that we really want to cultivate as we get older because life is precious and we're not going to be here forever you know mortality can be our our greatest guide and friend when we constantly remind ourselves that our journey here is limited in a physical body and so might as well be really kind and loving towards ourselves and make it a good experience as best we can yeah oh i love that okay sweetheart <laughs> <laughs> oh that's cool i love that now i get to i actually get to like anchor that it's pretty cool like yeah. i'm anchoring that right here just you know, like, okay, whenever i do that i'm going to go back to this moment so that is that's yeah. powerful yeah. i hope everyone listen to that too because boy this is neat having having your wisdom um here with us um thank oh, and you. I, didn't thank you. I didn't respond to your question about gratitude every oh. night almost every night on instagram i have an instagram account under coach on call and every night I try to list one thing I'm grateful for with a photo that represents, often represents what it is. You know, right now I'm so grateful for the extraordinary fall foliage that we have here. I mean, it's just crazy how beautiful it is. And sometimes I'm grateful for my cat. I'm often grateful for my husband, Michael. I'm grateful for the, the quirky, fun little things that he does, like re rearranges the pillows on our... <laughs> Jays we have in our living room every single night into a different arrangement. And I take pictures of them and sometimes post them. And gratitude reminds us that there is so much to be thankful for in the present moment. And it also, it lowers cortisol, the stress hormone. It improves our immune system. It, it increases dopamine, which is, you know, a feel good neurotransmitter. And, um, and it's just a wonderful state to cultivate. There's so much scientific research now. You know, Louise Hayes said for years, Wayne Dyer said for years, talked about the importance of gratitude. Many people have talked about the importance of gratitude. And now science knows it really matters. If you keep a gratitude journal, Oprah used to talk about this. She's kept a gratitude journal forever. So um, it's a wonderful practice to get into to uh, just... Keep your body in good shape, keep your mind in good shape, and keep you in good shape so that you're actually a, a good person to be around. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, that's beautiful. Okay, so do you take all those pictures? Because I my my thing that I always wanted to ask you was you're a photographer. Like you're very creative. You're you're a writer, you're an author, you're a very um, um 
spiritual you're very you know everything are, are you the photographer and well i am, I am the photographer. You know, many of us will get good at anything we do a lot of and i've been taking pictures for a long time and and i enjoy it i think of myself as an artist i think we're all artists in our own ways and we have um we have the opportunity to express our creativity in a myriad of ways, whether it's decorating or writing or the way we parent or the way we teach. I have a friend of mine who's a professor at a university who is so creative in the classes that she teaches. And so I do love taking photographs. I, I'm interested in expressing my creativity in new and interesting ways in my, at this point in my life. It's part of the reason that I um, published self-care for the wisdom years in an audio format because I've been writing a long time and I've written lots of books. And I knew that a lot of people, including myself, are consuming um, experiences through audio now. And so it to me, it was a giant creative project to go into the studio, again, with a loose outline. I knew what I wanted to say to people and just actually go in as if I were coaching you, just one individual through this process of taking good care of yourself and your wisdom years. And it was a really wonderful collaborative process with my producer, Mitchell from Sounds True and, um, and Tammy who, you know, gave us a green light for the project. So um, she's wonderful in all the work that she's, you know, brought to the world over the years. And so, yeah, I'm always looking for fun and interesting different ways. And photography has been, something that um, I've grown to really love and enjoy. Yeah, I love all your, I love your photography. So <laughs> um, big fan. Um, do you, one of the things that um, strikes me is you were early to being a coach. Like it's very popular now. It's a thing, it's caught on and everything. Can you talk about being early <laughs> to, to that? Um, or uh, to me, the timing was perfect, but it could feel early. Was that hard to navigate? Well, yeah, I mean, back when I became a coach, there really wasn't the profession of coaching. I was introduced to a man named Thomas Leonard, who had started a training program called Coach U, Coach University. Yeah. And back then, coach training was a, a three-year program. Um, I was enrolled for three years in a master coach program with colleagues. There were 10 or 12 of us that um, would meet via, you know, conference calling every single week and work through the curriculum together and coach each other. And um, so, yeah, back then it was a, practically a brand, nobody knew what a coach was. And every time someone asked me what I did, I gave them a different answer. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. until um, New Age magazine at the time, it was like a personal growth national magazine, called me, they did a story on my work and they called me a personal trainer for the soul Ooh, and I thought, yeah, I thought, yeah. well, that's exactly what I do. I mean, I'm really about listening to who somebody is and what their soul is saying and what their soul most wants and then helping them to orient their lives around that. So for a long time, I had a private practice and then went on to write and to teach and I no longer do coaching, but, um, but it's, you know, it has, I mean, it's a hugely grown profession now that, I mean, there's coaches all over the world doing really great work with people. The International Coach Federation was an organization I was involved with early on, and they're they're certifying coaches. And yeah, it's become a full, it's pretty cool profession. I, I, in my head, I kind of think she started that. 
No, I didn't. I, I know you didn't, but in my head, I'm kind of like, eh. yeah, I would say <laughs> Leonard really was the one that launched the profession. And then there were about 12 of us, Jay Perry, Shirley Anderson, Laura Berman Forking, Mad Homan. Uh, I mean, Stephen Clooney, like all these, this handful of coaches who were, were passionate about the work that we were doing and, um, and studying together. And th that team along with Thomas really helped to fine tune the curriculum at Coach University. Many of us taught there for a long time and then bring it to the world. But Thomas was really the guy that started it. Okay. Yeah. I'm still thinking in my head who did it. <laughs> Is that okay? Um, sweetheart. Um, do you, can you tell me about ki kindergarten you? And kudos to all those people too, by the way, I'm not knocking anything. They yeah, did. No, I just, I'm, I'm in the Cheryl fan club. Um, do you. Can you tell me about um, you, like preschool you, kindergarten you, like how'd you get to be you? Like what were you like in grade school, middle school, high school, all those things? Like tell us who, who you are all the way, all the way back to being a kiddo. Well, I mean, I was definitely, as a young girl, I was passionate about being outside, like a lot of kids were at the time. You know, you woke up in the morning, you did your chores, and you got outside, and you stayed out for as long as you could get away with it. Suffer, <laughs> go back out. So when I look back, I realized my love of nature began then, my love of um, just watching plants grow, of um, birds and animals. I used to love snakes. I would look for snakes, and I would study them, and um, loved frogs and, you know, anything in the natural world. I mean, I just was really passionate about that. I went to, kin I didn't go to kindergarten um, back then. Uh, I'm not even sure there was a kindergarten, you know, I'm 62. And so I went to, I, I think I started first grade when I was five years old, when a lot of kids nowadays would go to kindergarten. But, um, you know, I was, I was a very shy student, quiet, mm -hmm. shy, I loved, um, I loved learning. I still do. And uh, I didn't like school at all. I was, I was bored with it. I felt trapped there. I'll be very honest. You know, I, I, um, I wanted to be outside. I wanted to be out in the natural world. I didn't want to be stuck in a classroom. And um, so I just put my head down and got through it and, and um, was happy when it was over did pretty well. It was like a B student. You know, I did as much as I had to do to get through it. And I would say that when I came out of um, high school, I joined a family business. And then, you know, when I was about 19, I hired my first therapist. I was always somebody, I started keeping a journal when I was 12. I loved poetry. Um, I loved writing, capturing what was going on in my world very early on. And so that became you know, I considered myself a writer long before I ever published a book because um, I wrote every day and I loved music and I wanted to go to Berkeley College of Music to study music as a young girl. And um, but I would join a family business and that be that was sort of my entree into coaching because I was doing tax work, but I was actually meeting with people talking about their lives. And that was the part I loved the most. And that fueled my yeah. coaching career. And, and when did you say, you know, I'm going to write a book? And is your first book, and please correct me, if I'm, is the first book The Art of Extreme Self-Care? No, the Take Time for Your Life. That came out in 2000, I think. And that really captured the journey I was using. It does capture the journey of coaching that I used with clients. And, um, and also it just, it was all about helping people to make more time for what really matters. And um, it looked at all the different areas of a person's life and, 
and the work that I was doing to help people address the different areas of their life. That was my first book. Um, I wrote a book before that called Secrets of Success. I wrote about 200 pages and then realized that I was just kind of regurgitating what everybody else was saying. It wasn't my own voice. So I put it aside and committed myself to just working with clients for a few more years. And then I always knew that I would publish a book. And then at one point I was ready to, I was ready. I just knew, okay, I've, I've garnered enough experience and wisdom about working with people to put it down in writing and we'll see what happens. And that's how I began the first one. Yeah. I have, um, I have a couple of things that also inspire me about you and that's women supporting other women and mm -hmm. doing things at any age. And I know those are kind of cliche sayings, but you know, you're 62, I'm 53. We're putting books and audio books out into the world, audio books out into the world, all these things out into the world where like, I know when I approached 40, I thought, mm, is this it? Cause I was trained. <laughs> I grew up that way. Mm -hmm. But can you can you speak about aging and, and keeping going and doing things and how important it is and you know all that good stuff? Well, I think right in the beginning of self-care for the wisdom years, I talk about a shift that occurs if we're awake enough and brave enough to welcome it in, where we start to make a, a shift from an ego-directed life to a soul-directed life. And what that it doesn't mean that we stop doing anything, but we start to give more attention to our inner lives and to presence and to um, to to cultivating a relationship with ourselves as a, the soul that we are. And so I don't have an interest in staying busy for the rest of my life. I actually have an interest in staying present and um and there were four things that happened that I talk about in the audiobook that really got started me on that journey. And I think we all need to pay attention to our lives and notice when we start to have a kind of deep calling that, you know, this, what I'm doing isn't, isn't, doesn't have the juice that it used to. It's not feeding me the way that it used to. And um, sometimes when we've done something for a long period of time, we've mastered it and it's time to move on to something else. And so I think it's really important that, number one, we recognize we're not going to be here forever. Number two, that as Joseph Campbell said, at some point, we have to give more attention to our inner lives than our outer lives. And, um, and in doing so, we prepare ourselves for a really satisfying aging process and for wise elderhood so that we not only become less afraid of death and less afraid of the ending of our lives. Um, but we also become really beautiful mentors for people who are going to face the reality that we age. You know, we live in an anti-aging culture. Everybody wants to talk about, you know, people say to me, oh, well, 60 is the new 40. And I'm like, no, 60 is 60. <laughs> yeah. I feel good. I feel, you know, but I work every day at making sure I take care of my health. I work out with weights. I do some cardio, you know, I'm out in the world every day walking and um, I, I'm, I cold water swim all year long, which has been life changing for me. So I do things to take care of my body. And I talk about some of those things that become important in later years. Um, but I'm, I'm not 25 and I don't want to be 40. I actually really like where I am. Um, the last six months have been some of the best months of my life. And so you can have that when you arrive at this process of aging very consciously and um, you embrace it and, and, uh, and take on the journey. 
you know, take on the journey in a very um, courageous way. I think, I think we're so lucky to age. I think people have that wrong. Like, oh, they fight it, fight it, fight it. I'm like, no, you, the goal is to age perhaps. Well, and a lot of times if we keep doing things that don't feed us in some way, you know, I used to always say when I was coaching, if I had clients who hated New Year's Eve or didn't like when their birthdays came, it usually was because they weren't happy with the lives they were living and they regretted another year passing. Um, when you really enjoy your life, you celebrate aging, you celebrate your birthdays, you celebrate, I mean, you celebrate New Year's as a new opportunity to have even more fun or to have even more experiences and adventure. And that's really what I want for people. Yeah, beautiful. All right. We're totally out of time and I need to respect your time because I really want to have you on here for like four hours and I'm going to be quiet now. <laughs> I hope you'll come back. It's so fun to, to be able to chat with you. And I know everybody's thoroughly enjoyed this before we go. Um, I'm going to put your website back up um, and, and just ask you, is there anything that I didn't cover or that you want to, some wisdom you want to, more wisdom you want to impart to us? Or no, I just want to say thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you for the contribution that you're making, both in the books that you write and the, this, um, the show that you do and the podcast that you put out, you know, we, People like you are helping people to wake up, and I'm really grateful for that. Well, I'm, I'm very grateful for your time, your time, your energy, your presence, your wisdom, everything. It's a, this is a true, I, I want you to know, this is just like a true moment in my life where it's just true joy. It's like, it's like that incredible yes, I asked, and you said yes, and it's, it's meaningful to me. So and meaningful to our Best Ever You community, I'm sure everybody's just going to love this. Well, thank you, sweetheart. Remember, call yourself sweetheart. <laughs> thank you. All right, everybody, CherylRichardson.com. Go there. All of her books are there. Her new audios are there with Sounds True. Um, she's a beautiful, beautiful soul. Um, her website's very easy to navigate. You can see all about her love of animals and everything comes real clear through her website. Um, and, and I've really enjoyed this discussion. So, all right, everybody, take care, Cheryl. Thank you. So much. Appreciate you. Yeah, sweetheart. <laughs> all right, take care, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.